Um, I bring greetings from my wife and my four daughters, and uh, they would love to be here. And I didn't have Taco Bell last night with the students, but my girls wanted it, and I, I don't do that anymore, <laughs> not at 11 o'clock at night. Uh, but great students. I really feel the heart of God here, uh, not just in the air, but I feel it in your guys' conversations, um, just getting to know you, and that's significant. So there's not a lot of campuses that can say that. So um, I'm thankful to be here because God's doing something here, and having me connect with you guys, it's like, it's exciting what God's doing in this generation. So I'm more connected with a generation of people in the Muslim world, but seeing what God's doing here in America, even though there might be hopeless being painted all over the screens, you guys are going to bring the hope to the nations. Amen? When I first got into uh, Turkey, I, you know, new language, uh, I've been in Afghanistan and Pakistan with my family, and so it was just kind of starting over again. Um, my wife chose our apartment. She went to nesting, you know, hanging stuff on the walls, picking out furniture. We got all settled in. We had three kids at the time. And uh, yeah, once the house was all fixed up, my wife's like, all right, go out and make disciples. <laughs> so I, you know, finished hammering stuff and, you know, fitting the dishwasher or whatever. And so then I went outside. I grabbed one of my daughters. Hey, let's go to the park. We went to the park. I'm pitching my daughter on a swing. And uh, I chose that swing because there was another man pitching his daughter on a swing, right? So this is going to work out well. So we're pushing our daughters on a swing. I don't speak any Turkish, right? I knew like, hello, how are you? What, what have you, you know? And so I just give a couple greetings and, uh, you know, our daughters, you know, try to play, but they don't speak either. And then I, I said, hey, uh, I knew the word chai, which means tea. Hey, you, you want to have chai with me? And, and uh, he just kind of laughed. He says, who are you? What are you doing? I'm like, I'm an American. And he's like, uh, you come to my house for tea, you know, and it's like, you come to my house for tea, you know, it's like, all right, whatever this means. All right, go. So then uh, that night we said, uh, you know, we're coming over. So we got our girls and put their hair in ponytails and we're running down. And so they lived in an apartment complex right next to our apartment. So then we go up, right? And so then I go to his apartment and he opens the door and then him and his family and his two daughters are coming out. And, I, and like, I'm trying to figure out what's going on, but they're putting on their jackets and shoes. I'm like, okay, what's happening? So then we, we get out in the hallway and then we go up the stairs and uh, we go to this other apartment and, and another family, this is his older brother. And then his older brother and his son and his daughter and his wife, they all come outside. They got their jackets on. I'm like, okay, th- this is how we do this. All right. So then we're going down the hallway, go down uh, three flights of stairs, go down and then they knock on the door and then grandma and grandpa open the door and uh, there's another family in there. And so then we all pile in and it's like, I got four families and uh, they start serving tea. We're having conversation that's as minimal as can be like, hi, how are you? Like, and then nothing else. And then they serve all the tea. And then it's like the, all these like Turkish families are like sitting in front of me. And then my wife and kids are just drinking tea and like, and then that's like the extent of it. Right? We don't know what else to say. And they're just watching the foreigners drink tea in their house. So Three years later, okay, we've learned the language. We've been to their funerals. We've been to their weddings. They've celebrated our holidays. We've celebrated their, their holidays. Uh, we've given them our holy books. We've explained our faith to them. And now they're all in our house, right? And there's even more families involved because we became family. And they're sitting there and we're drinking tea. We're laughing, just talking about politics and talking about life and raising kids and then the Bubba, the grandfather, looks at me and says, hey, you, you have this guitar. How come you never play it for us? I says, you know, I, I, I play that for my, my Lord. I says, I, just, I only play these songs that just adore my Lord. I, he says, well, let's hear one. And I'm like, oh, gosh, you don't want to hear me sing, especially in Turkish, right? So I grabbed the guitar and I just, you know, 
I, I learned a couple of worship songs in Turkish and just felt like I'm just going to go for it. So I start worshiping the Lord in Turkish. And I'm really just doing it to get it over with, right? So I finish this song and I go to put the guitar away. And the grandfather, the bubba, says, play it again. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, right? So I go through, you know, and I'm just playing the song. And, and I, I don't know what I'm doing, really. So I go and I put the guitar away. And he's like, play it again. So then, then the Lord's speaking to me through this, this Turkish grandfather, just worship me. So I grab the guitar, and then I just start worshiping, and I go through, and you know, I hit that bridge like twice, you know, and then it's like off the hook, right? <laughs> and uh, then the older brother comes and sits next to me, and he grabs the words, and then like with this beautiful accent, he starts worshiping and just singing the song. And so then you know what happens? Every person in the house, there's like 17 people, they pull out their cell phones. And I'm like Facebook Live now, right? And they're like Instagram stories. Like they're just like pushing me up all over the internet. I'm like, okay, here we go. We're doing this, right? So after that, like that night, like my wife and I, as they're leaving, I mean, we just can't wait to celebrate because... We've been praying for them. We've been asking the kingdom of God to come on this family, that they would see who Jesus is, like through us, through the scriptures, through our prayers. Like, God, show yourself these people. And they're worshiping with us. So after a couple cartwheels and praise gods, they go home, we go to sleep. And uh, a couple weeks later, I get a phone call. And uh, my buddy, one of the other brothers of the family, he's like, hey, uh, I'm going to send you a video right now. And last night we had an emergency. Our daughter had swelled up and she had all these hives all over her face. She had a high fever. We couldn't console her. We were going to the hospital. And just to like get her to calm down, we'd, you know, give her our phone. She was playing some games, but nothing was happening. And then all of a sudden, this video showed up on our phone of you and her uncle playing that worship song. And then all of her hives disappeared. Her fever went away and she was completely healed. So he sends me the video, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh. So the first thing I did is then I called the grandfather. And I says, hey, did you hear about your granddaughter? Of course I heard about my granddaughter. I says, hey, what would you think if we all got together? And I just kind of, you know, re-explained everything, all the words, and, and even the, 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 the holy books that speak about the words in that worship song to everybody. He says, yes, we want that. We, we want to know what's going on. So we all come together, and... You know, I says, you know, this, is a, this song is actually an expression of our, of our gratitude of the great things that God has done to us. And so then we worshiped in spirit and truth. And they're, I mean, they're all Muslims, but they're understanding that the God of heaven, the God who lives, has touched their daughter, and it's touching them, right? They're, they're just receiving a blessing. So I says, would it be cool if we did this next week in the house? He says, yeah, yeah, come back. So then next week we come. We gather up, and, and then he says, you know what, um, I'm actually not feeling good. My right arm, I haven't been able to use it, and I have a vein that's turned black, and it's growing up, up my arm. And I'm like, man, if that gets to your heart, you know, who knows what's going to happen? Uh, you know, black vein, like, you know, this is an emergency. I says, maybe we need to go to the hospital, and yeah, we don't know what to do exactly. So I says, well, you know what, can I just pray for you that, that you know, God would just heal you. And the grandfather's like, yeah, you could do that. So we laid hands on his arm and you could see the black vein on his forearm. After we prayed, said Jesus name, please heal our grandpa. And we lifted up, he was completely healed. So then it's like revival, right? I mean, everybody knows he was just healed. And so this Saturday night, I mean, we just had church in their living room. I explained healing, I explained who Jesus was. And they're all believing, right? And we went to the grandfather. We went to the, the, the head of the household. And so we had his honor 
speaking over everything that we did. No, we will listen to him. So then all the extended family of all the in-laws would come. We would preach the gospel that people were getting healed. We started baptizing. They started baptizing people. And uh, that's how we plant churches, amen? <laughs> yeah, praise God. It was so good. Uh, I think it was last year, and Joe Nettis was here. One of the, the grandmother died. And um, we couldn't get a flight back to their, their village. And... Uh, so we got to the nearest airport and we were driving. Um, as we were driving to the, to the funeral, and the grandmother, of course, was a, she just, she loved Jesus. She read her Bible every day. She witnessed all of her family members. But when they call out, you know, when a Muslim dies, they, they have a special call to prayer from the mosques. And then it's open for all the Muslims of the village to come and pray over the funeral to reduce the time of purgatory for, for Muslims. So, I mean, it was just not only just the family, but, but the whole village was going, right? And I, I, I didn't know how I was going to respond. I mean, we don't have it in the scriptures. How do we do funerals? You know, especially for a, a, you know, a former Muslim in a Muslim village in a Muslim country, right? We just, there's no rules on how to do this. So, four-hour drive, I just, I just prayed in tongues. God, just show me what to do. The whole family lined up when I got there. And... I just grieved with each one of them, and we just wept on each other. And then as we, like, you know, pulled our tears together, I said, she is watching us. She is on the streets of gold, dancing over us. She is a great cloud of witnesses, and she's saying, live a righteous life to you. And I, I had that message for each and every one of them. And after that, like, they have this wailing, you know, this, this, uh, you know, this, this, this deep grief that they all just kind of, like, it's okay to just cry out loud and grieve. But after I had this moment with each one of them and just said, hey, you know, she's over us, she's, she's saved, she's in heaven, like every one of them just had a peace and a joy. And God just changed the atmosphere of the, of the, the funeral. Amen. Yeah, praise God. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go back just a, a few years earlier when I was in Afghanistan. There was a young boy, and I, I don't know how he got his hands on the scriptures but uh, he said when, when he read the New Testament, he was reading it, uh, grew up in a Muslim family, you know, and, but when he read the Injil, that's the New Testament, he said the words came off the page, they went in his eyes, and he could feel them land in his heart. <laughs> it's the living word of God, folks. And it changed his life, and he knew it was changing his life because he went and told his mom, he says, Mom, I'm reading this book, I'm doing what it says, and I'm, I'm just a different person. And everybody that sees me says, oh, you're, you're, you're a good Muslim now. And she said, well, what book are you reading? And she, he showed it to his mom. His mom was very concerned. She says, you wait here, I'm going to go get your brothers. And so his, his mom left, and he's waiting for, like, this celebration because, you know, he, he's been, you know, reading the, the holy book, and it's changed his life, and anticipating the celebration, it, he hears outside, not, not a big crowd of people that are happy, but an angry mob coming to kill him. He jumps the wall of his house, and he runs for his life. He ends up at a home of a foreigner. This guy's in the UN. He knocks on the door, and he says, look, man, I'm, I'm reading the Bible, and uh, it changed my life, and, and now my family wants to kill me. Can, can you help me? And this, this UN guy's like, man, I, I don't know anything about this business, but the kook down the road does, go knock on his door. So then uh, he, he knocked on my door. <laughs> and uh, I open it up, and you know, he tells me a story, and of course I'm just moved. I'm like, you know, this, is, this is amazing. I'm like, you know, can, can I just come in and let me just sit, you know, sit with you? And, and so I said, look, can I just pray with you? And I, I begin to pray for, for Walid. When I prayed for Walid, he, he went into this deep, wrenching cry. And I'm like, hey, man, what? what why, why, why are you crying? What's going on? And he goes, I'm 19 years old, and my own mother wants to kill me. And I'm like, 
okay, let's, let's go talk to my wife about this. And, you know, we, we sit together, and, and, and Amy and I, we, we hear a story again, and, and I says, you know what, um, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a room in our home. I'm going to give you a job. I'm going to feed you, and you're going to be in my home now. We're, we're going to be your family. And so while he starts living with us, we start discipling him. Um, he'd, he'd, you know, go and run errands for us. And one day he was out in the market, and the call to prayer went off. And uh, two guys said, come on, it's time to go to the mosque. It's time to pray. And Waleed said, no, actually, I, I, I don't want to go to the mosque. And they're like, you're going to the mosque. And he, see, he says, he rips his arm out of their grip and he runs to my house. And I'm like, no, run to the UN guy's house, not my house, right? Like, come on. So I'm like, listen, Waleed, like, you know, we're in a land where, where everyone prays to Allah. Yeah, everyone's getting on their knees facing Mecca. And, and their prayers go up, but you know what? They just fall right back down. I says, you can go back to that mosque and you can, you know, just line up with them and kneel down and know that when you pray, our God leans his ear over you and he hears your prayers because you are redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Go lift up prayers for your nation, for your family. So while he was, you know, distraught, he's like, okay. And so he leaves. So he's coming back and forth in our house. He's working, and a couple weeks go by, and I get a, a knock on the gate. I open it up, and Waleed's standing there, and now he's been stabbed, and he has blood from the waist down. I grab Waleed. I put him in the, the back of my vehicle. I, I really, I, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm on my way to the hospital. I call some of the local believers. and says, will you help me? Like, Waleed's been stabbed. What, what do I do? And they says, listen, your life's in danger. Just drop him off at the front of the hospital and get away. And of course, there's war where we're at. And it's, it's typical that people would be injured, like getting to the hospital. So they're used to these type of emergencies. But the worst thing that I've ever done in my life is to take someone bloodied and dying out of my car, lay him in the ho- front of a hospital and drive away. Like, God, I don't understand what is happening? What, what, what do I do? The local believer says, we'll take care of them. You just go into hiding with your family. So these next three days are just wretched for my wife and I. We don't know if he's alive. We don't know his, his status. We don't know what's going on. We're calling, but the local believers say, don't call us. Three nights go by. They finally call us back. And they're like, look, it, you can come to the hospital, but you have to wear all the garb. You have to go into hiding and, and, and come down in the basement. And you, you can see Waleed. So, I mean, a lot of fear. I mean, you know, tangible fear. You can feel it. You can taste it. It's all around you. I don't know what's going on. I get down in this basement, and it's a dungeon. It's, he's laying on this dirty cot, and he's got all the same clothes on, and all the blood is all dried up, and he's just weak and frail. And I look at him, and, the, and God says to me, minister to him as you would to me. I have never had my heart broken so much that Jesus would say, minister to him as you would to me. I look at the doctor, can I just have a wet towel? I go in and I start scrubbing the dry blood off his legs, off his feet, I'm in between his toes. I'm just weeping. God, save him, keep him alive. I looked at the other local believers. I'm like, we've got to get him out of this hospital. We've got to get him to this private hospital. He'll get care. He's going to die in here. They're like, we don't know if the people that have stabbed him are waiting to kill us all at the end of the hallway. We're not leaving this room. So much tension, so much fear. We're arguing. We finally agree in the middle of the night we would sneak him out, take the back roads out of the city. We don't know if we're going to get gunned down. It's tense. We get up in the mountains, got in this wonderful missionary hospital. We drop him off. I tell the doctors, please give this young man the best care you can. After a few weeks, I get a call. Hey, you can come back and see Waleed. I get to the hospital, and Waleed greets me. He's got weight on. He's like healed. He's like healthy. Amen. Praise God. I, I, I tell Wally, I said, listen, I can't take you back to your village. They're looking that your family wants to kill you. I can't bring you back to my village. Like, it's too dangerous for you to be there. It's, I don't even know how I'm surviving there. Like, I've been calling around, and, and I don't know where to take you. But I did find a teen challenge in Islamabad, Pakistan. 
And the brothers there are waiting for you. In church, for a season, he went to this wonderful teen challenge and shared his testimony. And the, the brothers came around and prayed for him, hugged on him. I mean, since then, that teen challenge was attacked. And even the, the staff of that teen challenge was, was beaten until they, they, were, they were dead and, and hasn't reopened. But you know the realities of our day, right? As believers, we are all pressed on on every side. Waleed is healthy. Um, I've lost contact with him. But even in these days, he has a testimony. We know that God has a strong right wing of protection that is in the shadows of the Lord. Like, I just want to pray for Waleed right now. Actually, Father, we just, we thank you for his life. And I, I wish I knew exactly where he was. But, well, we just trust that he's in your care. And uh, Lord, we believe that you can save his family, you can save the people in his community, the people that he's around. And Father, we just pray for just a fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit for Waleed, the Lord, you would encourage him and fill him with your, your, your hope, Lord, and give him a passion to reach the people that are around him. Amen. Uh, yeah, I met another guy one day, I was out, and uh, his name was Sultan Ali. Uh, he was full on like like the leader of a mosque. I mean, just had the cap, the gowns, the full beard and everything. And I had a conversation with him. And as I was speaking with him, I just felt this tremendous peace. And it was just like the easiest guy to talk to. I mean, we were laughing. We were talking about our families. And I went home that night and I was like, honey, I talked to this imam and he was such a nice guy. And she's like, would you share with him? I was like, Actually, I did not, but yeah, I don't know. We, we kind of had these protocols that we didn't share with anybody because Al-Qaeda was very active in our city. And so we had to get like background checks before we even shared the gospel because, yeah, it was just dangerous. So, but I was like, yeah, I'll go find him tomorrow. So that night I actually dreamt about him. I woke up, I was excited. I went and found uh, Sultan Ali again and, and I got in a conversation with him again. And then I just kept feeling this peace. And, and as I was speaking to him, I, I heard the Lord just witness to him. So where we're living, there's a blasphemy law that if you were to share anything that would exalt itself up above Islam, you could legally be killed. So I could sh- witness to him. The, he could kill me. Then the police would come and say, what happened here? And he says, oh, this man was proselytizing. And they would say, okay, let his body rot here in the street so that all can see what happens to those who try to convert Muslims. Close case. The Lord's saying to me, witness to him. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to step out of the boat here and walk on the water and be like, and I did. I said to Sultan Ali, I said, which means my God is my father. Now, just by saying that, I have removed myself from Islam because I say, I serve a God who loves me as his child. Muslims believe that Allah is the master and they are the slaves. Just by saying this, I have witnessed to him. And he looks at me and he smiles and nods. Okay, now I'm like standing on the water, right? I'm like, okay. So then I take a step of faith and I say, which means my God's son is Jesus. And he says, yes, he is, right? And now I'm ready to pass out, take the plunge, right? I'm like, what? I'm like, who are you? He says, in my family, all my fathers have been imams. I have studied the Quran since I was a young boy. He says, in one night I had a dream. I saw myself going to the madrasa, the, the, the Quran school, and over the madrasa was a, a big storm, and every step I took, the, the storm got stronger, lightning strikes, thunder, and it prevented me from going to the Quran school. So then I turned and I saw a long hallway, and at the end of the hallway was a lady, and this lady was pointing into a room. I got into the room, and there was a man standing full of glory. I woke up from my dream. 
On my way to uh, the mosque that morning, I thought, you know, where there'll be a storm. There was no storm. So I got in and I sat down with my, my hoja, my, my teacher, my instructor. And I, I described the dream that I had the night before. After I was finished, my hoja looked at me and he says, you now are unclean. Don't ever come back here again. He said, I, I lost my, my job, my identity, my, my future. He said, I, I left that place just thinking, I need to know who that man full of glory is. And my steps were directed, and I met a missionary. And this missionary, he introduced me to his book, and he, as we read the stories, I recognized this is the man full of glory. How do I follow him? How do I meet this man? And <laughs> we prayed, and I gave my life to Jesus, and then he brought me into a small group of other believers just like me. And together we would gather, we would worship, we would pray, we would read the scriptures. He says, my life was transformed. He says, then one day, we were waiting for the missionary, and he was never late. But this day he was late. We were confused. We went out. We heard all this commotion at the end of the block. And there he was in his car that had been shot up, and he was killed. He says, me and the other believers, we ran for our lives. He says, it's been nine months, and I haven't prayed with another believer. I haven't read from the Holy Book. I haven't even met with another believer. I'm on my own. And he says, and now you stand in front of me, and you're telling me that Jesus is the Son of God? He said, he is, because you have witnessed to me, and you found me. Oh, church, I grabbed him. I loved him. I brought him in my home. I mean, we read the scriptures together. I brought him in the small group of believers I was working with. I baptized him. He was filled with the Spirit. He became a pastor in the underground church. Amen. Amen. You know, there is a lady in that story. Do you remember? She was at the end of the hallway. I believe it was an intercessor. Father, I just pray for a heart of intercession on these students, Lord. That, God, that they would go into bedrooms and point Muslims to Jesus. God, that they would, they, would, they would stir up dreams, Lord, and visions, Lord God, through their intercession here in Minnesota that would reach to uh, the Middle East, to Central Asia, Lord God, that lives would be changed, Lord God, and people wouldn't be imams, Lord, but they would be pastors, they'd be evangelists, they'd be healers, prophets, Lord God, for your kingdom, in Jesus' name. Um, how am I doing on time? We've got like five minutes. All right, one last one. So this happened right now in, in, during uh, the quarantine in, in Turkey. And uh, up in the northern region is the Pontus region. If you read in the book of Acts, uh, the Pontus people were there during the uh, Pentecost. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, many church planners were, went up into northern Turkey. And uh, the church was, that's where it expanded. That's where discipleship happened. That's where uh, a lot of the theology that we believe in was, was started. But it's, it's been oppressed. It's been conquered by Islam. And, and any Christian or any monastery, any church now lays in ruins as well as many lives have been destroyed and martyred because of uh, the cause of the enemy. But, uh, but God is making a comeback. And uh, we met a, an older man uh, last year, and I, I shared my faith with him. And he said he's waited 20 years to meet a Christian. God is at work. <laughs> 20 years he's met, waited to made a Christian. So he was, he was just low-hanging fruit, right? I just harvested this guy, baptized him, and he's been right into the fold. Just came right into our house church and it's been a blessing. Uh, I was calling up some of the believers during the, the quarantine time in the spring, and uh, his, his son answered the phone. And I said, hey, hey, how's it going? I was wanting to talk to your dad. And, and uh, he says, yeah, something happened uh, this weekend. He said, you see... Um, my grandfather died, and then my father became uh, the head of our family. And uh, 
So, you know, his beliefs change. He's no longer a Muslim, and I, I know you're part of that. You, you led him to the Lord. You baptized him. And I, I don't understand everything that's gone on. Where I've started reading the Bible, but can you help me? Because, you see, our family for generations have had uh, enemies. And my father, since he's the head of our, our, our family, he went and made peace with our enemies. And in order to do that, he got on his knees and he asked for forgiveness for all the evils that have been done between our two families. And he says, many people have died, but my father asked for forgiveness. And after that was done, my uncle was so upset that he would bring this shame on our family that, that we would ask for forgiveness, that my uncle shot my dad four times in the chest. He's in the hospital right now, and we don't understand why, why, why do you people, why, why did my father forgive his enemies? So then I, I begin discipling his son, you know, sharing about the characteristics of Christ and the commands of Christ that we are to forgive our enemies. He says, the next day he says, listen, my, my dad, the doctors have said he has 48 hours, he's in a coma, we will know in 48 hours whether or not he will live or die. So we share this amongst the believers. We, we gather, and everybody goes into a time of prayer and fasting. These are tense times. I go to my wife, and I says, Honey, if he dies, I have to go to the funeral. But if the uncle's there, and he sees me, if he shot his brother so easily, it's possible he's going to shoot me. And so I have to pray this prayer with my wife. Lord, do you want me to go? And God says, go. And so then I have to explain to my daughters, uh, honey, we're going to be praying for a friend of mine right now, but if he dies, I'm going to go to the funeral, and, and it could mean that I won't come back. Would you guys pray with me and know that, so we would know that this is God's will? And, and, and my daughters are praying with me. I didn't sleep much, you know, just trying to deal with the you know, is my wife going to be a widow? My, my, my daughter's going to grow up without a dad. And I mean, this is, you know, these are tough things to, to deal with. And then the Lord starts speaking to me. Have you forgiven all of your enemies? Do you know what it's like to, to get on your knees and, 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 and forgive it to such an extent that, that this brother has just done? And I, I haven't. And I, I've never experienced that level of forgiveness. I mean, I've had, you know, trouble in, in Praise God, like no bitter root take root in any of our hearts, right? Like we, we must forgive, right? But this is this, these are strongholds in, in many believers' lives. And God's dealing with me. Like there's a lot of people, I just keep it at an arm's distance because, you know, I just would rather not. How great is the love that the Father has given to us, right? Like 48 hours go by and we're waiting to, to, to find out what's going to happen. And, and his son says to me, the police are here and they need a statement. Can you help me to explain to the police uh, what, what my father would do? What I'm understanding is that he's going to forgive my uncle. My uncle's being held in prison, but they, they're waiting to press charges. But if he forgave our enemies, he's going to forgive my uncle, right? So here we are like having these like amazing like discussions over the phone. Some time passes, and he says, everybody's going into the room, and I, I've been asked to go in. And so he says, I, I, I just went into the room. I came out. He says, my father, he awoke from the coma. And the police were there. The doctors are there. And then they asked him, what do, what, what do we do? We have your brother in custody. Do you, are you pressing charges? 
And he says, no, I'm not pressing charges. Then the doctor says, what do you mean you're not pressing charges? He's not in his right mind. Psychologically, can't answer these questions. You guys have to leave. And he says, no, no, no. I do forgive my brother. You see, I was dead and now I'm alive. And Jesus was dead and now he is alive. Of course I forgive my brother. What else can he do to me? (laughs) I mean, he witnesses to the police. He witnesses to the nurses, to the doctors, right? Two weeks later, he goes back to work fully healed, fully recovered, wearing his cross on his outside with, I mean, with courage and and bravado, I mean, boldness that you just don't see in these lands, proclaiming that Jesus died, I died, and together we rose again. Amen? Amen. All right, I'm going to just close with this scripture, and it's a prophetic word from the book of Psalms. It was, a picture was taken on uh, an old cathedral that is in the city of Trabzon. A thousand years ago, The church fathers chose these verses in uh, Psalm 102, verses 18, 19, and 20. It's written up in the dome in Septuagint Greek. One of the students took a picture of it, took it back to his university. And uh, some Greek professors, they were able to translate it, and it came from the, the book of Psalms. And it says, Let this be written for a future generation, that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. The Lord looked down from his sanctuary on high. From heaven he viewed the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners and to release those condemned to death. One more time. Let this be written for a future generation that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. The Lord looked down from his sanctuary on high. From heaven he viewed the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners and release those condemned to death. Father, I thank you for uh, North Central, Lord. I thank you for these students. I thank you for uh, those online, Lord. God, the, the, the work that you're doing in hearts right now, that God, when, when all is said, when all is done, Lord, Father, your kingdom, Lord God, is what will last forever. And Father, we just choose right now, Lord, to enter into a and a, and a greater magnitude in our own hearts, Lord. We're just, we're making decisions right now in our hearts, Lord God, that nothing else matters, Lord God, other than your kingdom, Lord God. Declaring the works of the devil to be canceled, Lord, in our own hearts, and our own minds, Lord Father, and to proclaim Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, Lord, would be about us. It'd be about who we are, Lord God, not just here in this city, Lord God, but to the ends of the earth, Father, I pray that you just would wrap your hearts, Lord, in the identity of who you've created them to be, Lord God. And Father, this would be a generation, Lord God, that would go and say, no more would the gospel be too late. But we would go to the ends, Lord God, to the unreached, to the unengaged, to the Erekans, to the Walids, to the Erekans, to the Khans, Lord God, to those, Lord, Lord, that for too long they've been condemned to death, Lord. But there would be those, Lord, that would say, yes, I am in that harvest Lord, of the last days, Lord God, when you pour out your spirit on all flesh, Lord God, and I want to be a part of the great awakening, Lord, of the Muslim people, Lord God. Father, to see your glory fall upon the darkest, the most doomed people, Lord God, and they would raise up a voice and say, Jesus is Lord of all, Lord. Father, touch hearts today, Lord God. I pray commitments right now. Commitments right now, Lord, that will change destinies, Lord God, in lives here and in lives to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.